0: We want to explore all sports and competitions on a deeper level in order to understand the less mainstream topics and events.
1: We here at Deep Dive Sports not only want you to walk away having learned something, but for us to have learned something new as well. Now
0: don't get us wrong. We will do our best to cover the big events, but our main goal is to give you a different perspective on some of the overlooked sports and competitions across the globe. We hope you're ready to learn, laugh, and have fun because we are excited to bring you this podcast. Please sit back, relax, and dive deep into these topics with us.
1: Hello and welcome to the second episode of Behind the Scenes in Sports. Today I am joined with Greg and for this episode we have Dr. Dale Sheptak who is a professor of sport management at Baldwin-Wallace University. We will be asking questions about creating and running your own business as well as the current status of youth sports. However before we get into the questions I would like to hand it off to Dr. Sheptak doing to introduce himself.
0: So how is everyone? How are you two doing? Um, doing. so as, as David Good. said, how I'm a, a professor, um, of sport management. I'm an associate of sport management at Baldwin Wallace University. Um, I also have a sports consultancy with some partners called sport and entertainment and between sport business coaching at the college level, running a sport, cl- a youth soccer club and so on. I've been involved in sport for, um, about 30 years, including coaching.
1: So before even more, uh, if any of our listeners have any questions, how can they reach out to you if they do?
0: Uh, they can hit me up. It's just my name on LinkedIn, you know, Dale Sheptak. They can hit me on Instagram at Dr. Sheppy, um, or they can email me, um, at Walter Wallace at rsheptak at bw.edu.
1: Perfect. And now we go into quest- our questions for kind of running your own business. And how, first off, how did the idea for starting and running your own business become a reality?
0: So I've done a couple of things. Um I think really the first business, the first business I ever ran actually was in high school, Um printing t-shirts and mugs, like novelty stuff. Um mm-hmm. So I actually still have a high school kind of like plastic tankard. Um, that we that we made in high school, um, and then uh, making T-shirts on the side. And we, um, I maybe shouldn't say this, but it was long enough ago. I think the statute of limitations was gone. We used to bootleg Simpson stuff during its first season. So that was my first. That was my first business. I was young and stupid. And if I uh, thought about doing it now that I understand the law, I would never even think about doing it. Um, it's not like it was a multi-million dollar business. We um, so that was really my first jumper case. Um, my first real business was a, um, a sports camp. And I was actually, um, I was a soccer coach at Lake Erie College. College coaches just don't make a ton of money. So you've got to figure out how to make the rest of your money. So I started a, I started a sports camp called Storm Soccer Camp. It was really, um, for about five doing that. Um, and then I, um, went in on starting a soccer. You know, people think, you know, you just started a soccer club, you know, starting a soccer club, um, in recruitment running your business, dealing with your customers and your customers are the parents of the dealing with all that. It's uh, it's pretty much a a 20 hour. So plus all the planning hiring and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it really just started. So for me, it started with being a soccer coach and needing to make more money and seeing an opportunity to do that. Um, my current organization that I, I run with two of my partners, um, is called six city um sport and entertainment. It's named after Cleveland. Uh, back in the 20s and 30s, Cleveland was called the sixth city because it was the sixth biggest country uh, city in, in the country. And we really um started a sports company that was Cleveland centric. We wanted to help athletes and sport businesses in the greater Cleveland, Northeast Ohio area. Um, and that's why we named our company that. Why um we weren't really successful in Cleveland, I don't know, but we've been a lot more successful everywhere else. So we're not really Cleveland-centric, even though our name would lend you to believe we are. Um, but um, we've been kind of more successful outside of the Northeast Ohio area. Um, and what we do, we do everything from athlete development to help develop business plans, um, help start up companies with all different facets of the organizational structures, financing, finding investors.
2: Nice, perfect. So I'll start off the second question uh, for those of for those who want to start their own business, how would you recommend them going about doing that? Okay. Essentially, how, what advice would you give them?
0: Yeah I'm a big I'm a big believer in slow I, I really am and, and my, some of it just might be some of my some of my background growing up and stuff but I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm more of a tortoise than I am. Um, and you have to you have to be prepared to work through the nuances of of your industry and, and through the ups and downs in order to be successful. so so without me getting long-winded, be in for the long run, okay? Start slow, okay? Don't expect overnight success. Um, and, and and plan and strategize and really think about the long-term aspect of what you're doing and not only what you're doing as you start, but what you're gonna do five, 10 years down the road. So that's all kind of encapsulated in number one would be slow. Um, be innovative is, is really my second one. You know, are you, I think there's really two two different kinds of businesses that start. There's kind of like those entrepreneurial businesses that shatter kind of the status quo, bring something new. And we've got a lot of those in sports now, especially with sports tech companies, you know, um, doing all kinds of different things. I just got introduced to this other, um, this app that was started by a high school name has gone from my head right now, but I helped coach at our local high school. And this kid started an app or a, a web page. That educates individuals on their sport. And it's quick six minute video. So like, it's almost social media ish and kids will jump on and it's got their attention for those six minutes. And they're like, ah, I get that. And then they go back to practice and the coach can talk about and then put that stuff in the action. You know, those, whereas that's not groundbreaking. It is kind of disrupting, right? It's, it's giving, you know, because it's technology. And then there's people like me that'll start a soccer camp business or a, a club, right? There's nothing innovative or groundbreak that there's tons of them out there in all different kinds of mm-hmm. So where, where you have to be innovative when you're doing something that's mainstream is what makes you, what truly what, makes you different.
2: What are some of the pitfalls of a uh, business that comes out of the gate too fast?
0: Um, this, I hate to say it, um, disappointment. Um, some of those that come out of the gate too fast and have instant success. They have that little kind of blip where they get success. But then the maintenance of that of that level of business is hard for them to do, um, and and I've I've worked with companies um, like they come out of the gate really fast, but there's five people work for the company, right? And they need 60 people to service the people that the promised business. They can't hire people fast enough. They can't serve, so they end up losing their clients, their customers, and then the business. You know that repu- once that reputation's out there, it's hard to come back. So. Um, So to your question, I think, you know, know when to say when, if you've got a small number of employees and you know what your overall capacity is, don't go beyond it until you've got the capacity to go beyond. And and if you see that opportunity for business, expand your capacity quickly with the right people who buy into your mission, who buy into the way you want to run a business and so on. I, I think that's important. Don't just go out and hire people. You know, don't run and hire all your friends who are looking for a job just because you need to fill seats or you make sure those people fit your organization and what you're doing. That all, that all adds into that capacity, this service. And that, and that's key because we're, I mean, we're, we're really a service industry. You know, we're, we're a service economy. I'm sorry. in the sport industry in so many ways outside of manufacturing, is a hundred percent service. So that client fan customer experience is paramount to your success.
2: Nice.
1: Awesome um so both my next question and greg's question after that kind of go hand in hand essentially but uh how do you balance being the owner of a company or two and being a professor at the same time
0: i have awesome business partners that are truly understanding and um so i would say now with my company i'm a consultant to the consultancy even though i'm listed does that make sense I'm not out there on the front with them anymore. Um, although I was for a long time while I was a professor and it's really just balance and you've got to love what you do. And if you love what you do, it doesn't, I hate to be kind of cliche here. If you love what you do, it doesn't seem like work. And, you know, there was a couple of times when we were getting started where we took on projects, projects that just bored me to tears. And that was work. And it was hard to leave my professor job and go do that. Right. But when you've got the right mm. projects, it's easy. And, and one of the nice things, and David, hopefully you experienced this in class years ago. Um, <laughs> it, it, it gives me material, right? It, mm. it gives me, it gives me real world examples to give you guys so that you're not just, you know, reading out of a textbook that was written four years ago with examples that are four years old. You know, mm. we can talk about things actually going on. So in a lot of ways, they go hand, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm supposedly an expert in sport management, you know, with a doctorate, sport management professor, run a consultancy. So, you know, that expertise lends itself to the consultancy, then the consultancy lends itself to the professor in, mm. in numerous.
1: I think you kind of answered uh, my final question for this little area, but uh, on to Greg for the next one.
2: Well, speaking of doing things that you love, and obviously you've, you've been doing it for a long time. Why did you become a professor?
0: um all right um so i always wanted to be a history right my dream was to be um was to get a phd in japanese history a couple of problems i didn't speak japanese and um it just never worked out for me so um because i think to be a good get a phd in japanese you have to be able to translate japanese um so what really happened for me is i was i was working in hr and i hated my job and my, my wonderful wife gave me and just coach soccer for a while. And she supported. And while I was doing that, I became a coach at Lake Erie College and we started the camp business and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of took off. And so, um, at that point in time, I had my master's degree and had no intention of going on to do it. And Lake Erie College was great, um, because they let me teach sport management classes because I was a coach and an assistant athletic director and they let me pick up some of the sport management classes on campus. And I decided I loved it. And one day I was coaching a game. I think we were losing 4 nothing somewhere in Pennsylvania. It was soaking wet. And I looked at my assistant coach and I said, I'm 44 years old. I can't see myself doing this when I'm 55. So I went and got my PhD. Nice. And, then I, and then I got the opportunity. So it was never, I always had a dream of being a history professor, but I never planned on being a sport manager. It just just kind of happened. Lake Erie College gave me the opportunity. I was there between coaching and teaching for almost 20 years, and then I, I had the opportunity to move over to Baldwin-Wallace and, and jumped at it.
1: Yeah, and um, you kind of covered this a little bit, too, but um, and I personally know because I had you as a professor, but for our listeners, how did you relate your experiences through a business um, to your students, really?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really just about being appropriate. Um I think it can be dangerous if if you can get you can kind of borderline brag about who you are and what you're doing and who you know and I think that's really bad for students. Um teaching them teaching them a bad approach to working in the sport industry. So I think you have to walk that line and you need to think about the examples you're giving them. And are they truly real world experiences that they're gonna be able to relate to and, and understand? So making sure they're approach I think is super
1: important. Awesome. Uh, I also
0: think can I just add one more thing in there. I'm sorry, I,
1: you're you know, good. it's
0: not always it's not always about me relating um, stuff. You know, sometimes, and with a little plug for BW Sport Management Program. We do a great job of bringing in people from the outside to tell those real life story. our contacts from industry to tell those stories for us. And I think a, a lot of times they're more meaningful coming from somebody from the outside than it is necessarily coming.
1: From yeah, because I remember there. Yeah, because I I remember there were like several different lectures that you guys had put on where several different people came in just to speak and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if you remember the David West one. He just happened to be on campus. One of my business on, 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 campus in Cleveland for a, um, for some, some conference. um, What was the conference? Um, I can't remember, but um, he was in town. One of my partners was doing some work with him. Or was it you know attached to him and I was talking to him at eleven o'clock at night and he's like, Hey, David West in town, you want him to pop stop by and talk to students tomorrow? I'm like, Yeah <laughs> you know. And that one was just luck and then we had David we had and then Dr. Campisi was sending emails out to everybody at midnight, be in this room at ten thirty, David West is coming. And you know, that was just I mean, that's mm. just I, I could never tell you what it's like. NBA championship winner, NBA all star yeah. you know, and he came and he related great stories to every and he's also a great businessman. So you know, I, I had never even met him before. That was the first time I met him, too. It was just it was a great experience. Just just through your network and people, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I remember we even had uh, Danica Patrick come in.
0: I, I didn't, that last I didn't year. Go to that last
1: year. Yeah, I wasn't able to go to that because I had something else going on. But I remember that happening, too. Yeah, that one was fun.
2: So, Dr. Shoptek, what advice can you give to parents to motivate but also not decentivize their youth to want to pursue a future career in the sport of their choice
0: i think being realistic is key right um a cert, like everybody has the opportunity to play youth. only a certain percentage has the opportunity to play in high school. a smaller per, you know, a small percentage of those that play in high school have the opportunity to play in college and even fewer get to play in the pros so there's there's, there's just the sheer reality of a small number of people make it to the very top okay I don't think that should ever be the the goal at the onset from, in my opinion and from my coaching experience, you know, if you love a sport, you'll play it for your, you'll play it your whole, as long as your body lets you right at one level or the other, you know, you know, I play in a men's soccer league where I swear to God, I think it's like taking a stroll soccer, you know, <laughs> nobody's running. And when somebody shows up who's actually fit and can run, everybody chastises them because we're all over 50 and, and, you know, we love playing and, but we're not 20 anymore. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. I, I think that's important from the onset. Um I've had some very, very special people play for me that have went very, very far. Um Never had anybody, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a soccer coach. Never had anybody make the U S national team or anything like that. I've had a couple of folks get in the pool, if you will. Um Wasn't because I was a coach, they were just super talented and they had other great coaches. Um, but I don't think that can be the goal. I can't. I don't think that can be what's driving a young person. I think if you and this might sound young to some of your listeners, but I think if you get to 14, 15 and you're an exceptional talent, then that can start to become your focus. Obviously, there's some prodigies out there where the focus is a lot earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you've got young tennis players, um, you know, uh, swimmers. I mean, in the Olympics, there was some 16 year olds winning medals in this Olympics, you know, those are all, all, those are prodigies. So I think I'm talking to, to sort of the general public, if you will. And and it's not about having that goal. It's about just, it's about getting better at your sport, loving your sport. Um, listen, I am not the person I, I, I'm never going to say winning doesn't matter. Otherwise we wouldn't keep score if it doesn't, but it can't be the only thing that happens. And just like the final outcome of being a professional can't be the final outcome that's on a 10, 11, 12-year-olds mind all the time where that's all they do and they miss out on other aspects. Does does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you. And
0: I think focusing on the things that that kids learn through sports, and I think that's one of your later questions, becomes really important as well.
1: Yeah, I think that actually is the next question too. How important is it in their development for youth to participate in youth sports?
0: Super important. I think at some level, every kid should do it. And listen, and David, you know, I've got a pretty wide definition of sports, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't care, um, you know, I don't care if your kid's a cheerleader. My, for me, sports is about physical activity. For, and then there's the winning and losing thing, you know? So, um, you know, if you put, you know, if your kid's in martial arts, for me, that's the equivalent of a sport, right? Um, if your kid loves cycling, I mean, it's definitely a sport, not a team sport. Um, but I also think team sports are important. Because I think there's a lot to be learned from team sports, um you know to, and I don't need to list them off. everybody knows what they are, you know teamwork, camaraderie, just social interaction, things like that um so I, I think it's really important and I think it's one of the reasons that that, that that cities and like municipalities do such a great job with rec sports because and the reason that's there is because we know how important it is to get our kids socialized and what better way to do it than through getting them involved with sport and it gives them a taste of all different kinds of sports right no hopefully nobody's specialized at four and five years old right hopefully you know during soccer season the kids playing soccer then the cross starts they play lacrosse or you know or or then then they go to you know whatever your know, parent pitch or t-ball or whatever right and they go through all the different sports and they they try a little bit of every um I think it's essential to, to, to the development of, of, of good, healthy, socialized young people. I really do.
2: Well, speaking been... of, of kids trying everything, what sports do you see being tangible for youth to pursue as a career versus what sport could fo- help foster and develop them more as individuals?
0: Wow, okay. Um, so obviously, you know, so in this country, if you want to make good money, like a lot of money off a of sport, there's only a couple of sports you play in. You know, I hate to say that anything's tangible or not tangible because, you know, 10 years ago, CrossFit existed, but none of us knew what it was, right? And you can make a living as a CrossFit athlete. And 10 years ago, we didn't know what it was, you know. Um, so, so I don't want to, I don't want to say, you know, think you can make a living doing this or not doing this. You know, it, I think it all depends on your expectations of of what your living is. I think one of the key things we have to remember in most sports, you've got a limited shelf life. Right. And I think yeah. that's, that's essential to, to remember. And I, you know, I, I, I really, you know, most, most sports have a highly physical um, component that your body can't do after a certain amount of time. So you've got to be prepared for after that. Okay. Um, I think, and, and to answer really answer the second part, you know, um, what sports are good for development? They're all good for development. They're, every sport is good for development, even individual sport. What's not good for development sometimes are the coaches and the adults that are involved.
2: how so? So
0: that's okay. We're going to go there now. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, just yeah. pushing, just pushing kids, you know, being about, being about winning, having kids specialize at way too young an age. You know, where to the point where all they do is play the same sport year round. And then and I see this all the time and I've seen this a lot as a soccer coach. They get to college, they get the Division One scholarship, they play a year and then they're done and they walk away from the sport because they've they've, they've just been fried because they've done nothing but play that sport 12 months every year since they were like 10. Right. And at some point in time, either their body's done with it or mentally they're done with it. And and they walk away, and I, I think that's unfortunate. You know, I think people that play a sport should still love that sport or sports in general as a, an escape mode later. Okay.
1: Yeah, and to kind of go off that uh, question that Greg just asked, uh, what kind of issues do you see with youth sports today, and how would you like the these issues to be fixed if they could be?
0: Okay. So I think my answer is going to be the same coaches and specialization. Um, and listen, when I say coaches um, and listen, I love youth sport. I think youth sport is great, but like everything else in the world, it's got its issues and we need to address some of those issues. Um, so I kind of talked about specialization um, and I talked about specialization from a burnout standpoint, but you've also got injuries um, that come from specialization in young people. You know, you see pretty large numbers of, of, of young boys, men, um, young men at 14, 15, needing things like Tommy John surgery because of, they've overthrown their arm, just as an example. In soccer, and I think lacrosse it, for, for females is the same, um, lots of ACL surgeries in young women. Now, some of it can just be fluke, but a lot of it comes from um, over overuse type injury. Um, you've also got issues um, of, of Head injuries, concussions. Um, you know, there's a great organization called the Concussion Legacy Foundation that does a lot of research and work into that and works with youth sport to try and think about what the rules should be and just to prevent early on head trauma. Um, and they're not anti sport. They're just pro, pro sport safety. So I think, you know, so, you know, this idea of specialization at a young age, if you look back and I grew up in, I grew up in the United Kingdom. So, I only went to high school for three years over here. And I think my generation, and I could be wrong on this, but I think my generation was kind of one of the last generations of the, what I, I refer to sort of as the all American three sport athlete. And, you know, in the, in, in the, you know, the traditional American way of it, of doing it was, you know, in the fall for, 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 a, for a, a guy was play football in the fall, basketball or wrestle in the winter, play softball or track. You're a three sport athlete, right? And I think for for females, you know, it, it would it would be you know something like volleyball in the in the, in the fall, basketball in the winter, and I'm generalizing, and then softball or track in the winter. And that's before we had a lot of lacrosse and stuff like that, and before we had a lot of soccer. And, um, and studies show that those athletes were using different muscle groups every season, so their bodies weren't getting worn down by the same repetition throughout their life. And I I really I'm a big fan of returning to that kind of model where kids are playing multiple sports, have multiple interests, broaden their horizon. Um, but unfortunately, um, because youth sport has become, um, become a business. I mean, I ran a youth sports club and it was a business. It was about making money. You wanted full rosters because when you've got a full roster, you're covering your costs and you're making um, and when your rosters are full, it also attracts other people. It's just a weird recruiting phenomenon. If, if people think your rosters are full and you're winning, they want to be on your team, right? So we're told, and I've, I'm I'm not going to hide behind what I, things I've said before. I sort of wised up. I bought into it too. You know, I used to encourage people to play year-round because I wanted them to come to my club and, and play. Because when you come to my club and play, we, especially if you're good, we're better. And you know, we're making, we're making money. It's part of the business model. Um, you know, after so I sort of had my epiphany, um, and started doing a little bit more research into it. The reality is, is I, I, believe they would be better playing multiple sports year round. And there's probably people out there that are going to dislike what I'm saying, but I think it's a fact because, because youth, youth athletes have become commodities and youth sport is big, big, big. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And, um, a lot of times we're doing that doing it without proper regard for the for the young people playing the sport.
2: Okay so I know you you said that any any sport that they uh participated in is good for them and I know you specialize in soccer more related to what you know what you coach but as you as an educator do you push or encourage any particular sport for youth?
0: Oh no. No. Not at all. Um, I'll give you neither one of my, well, my oldest daughter played soccer until she was 13 or 14 and then didn't play anymore. My youngest daughter never played soccer ever. They didn't, they weren't interested. Um I think soccer is the greatest sport in the world, obviously. Right. But I don't, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the answer to everything. You okay. know, for some people, they, for, for some people, football is, is, is that conduit, right? For others, it's lacrosse, um, you know, baseball, basketball, whatever the case might be. And I really think, you know, I think you do when you're enjoying yourself, you know, I use the cliche that, you know, when you do what you love, it's not work. When you're, when you're playing the sport you love, it's not effort. You want to put that effort in. So I, I think, I think that's a personal choice. I really think that's a personal
1: choice.
2: Okay.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And you, um, you kind of touched on this, on the question before, um, but I think we've made the point that sports were very important to many people when they were young. However. Should youth sports be promoted for essentially monetary gain? For example, the Little League World Series.
0: We are not going to reverse a multi-billion-dollar industry. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the the reality is, is youth sport is an industry now. It, it you know organizations are run by people for monetary gain. They're, they're business. They're a business, and and we're we're not going to reverse that. Um, mm-hmm. you know. How, you know, how would you reverse it? You know, pass a law hypothetically, right? And I'm saying this tongue in cheek mm. that doesn't allow, but, but that, you know, that's not going to happen. It's, and, and one of the things you have to remember is, you know, running like a youth sports club is one part of the youth sport industry. Okay. The biggest part of the youth sport industry is hospitality, travel and tourism, right? It's mm-hmm. taking your kids with their team. To a big tournament in Indiana, right? Or and you go for the weekend and you stay in a hotel, so the hotel's making money. You're shopping in the town, so the town's making. You're buying food and eating at restaurants, so they're making money. So the it, the, the businesses are making money, the town's making money off of tax revenue, and the tournament organizer is getting a kickback from every one of those businesses. N- nothing unethical about it. It's good business. Yeah
1: yeah Mm. right yeah one
0: and and that and that's how they're making and that's how they're making money which and you look across different parts of america and i wish i could remember the name of the town i thought i remembered it and that's why i use the indiana example but there's the mayor of a town in like middle indiana it was a small kind of uh rural town and he bought up a bunch of farmland and put like 30 soccer fields baseball diamonds softball diamonds big indoor complex and it's like a mecca for youth sports. We've got people coming from like, you know, Kansas, Illinois, um, you know, Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan kind of come in there and and they play there. And 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 those places have popped up there's one being built in Cincinnati right now. I think in I think the town's called Mason just north of uh, downtown Cincinnati. There's one being built there in an abandoned factory, um, mm-hmm. a facility like that. And They exist to draw people. It's economic development, right? Mm -hmm. Based on tourism and all of our big city. You think about our big cities, our, our cities now. They all have things like the Cleveland Sports Commission who do amazing jobs, but the Cleveland Sport Commission also brings youth sports events to town, right? Yeah. And when they bring those youth sports events to town, they're bringing the parents, they're bringing people that need to stay in hotel rooms, people that need to eat at restaurants and stuff like that. So the youth sport industry is so tagged into that, tied in rather to that, 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 tourism and hospitality aspect of our economy that, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's just the reality of what it is. There was a yeah. study done at Michigan state about eight years ago um, that, that, looked at how many sort of a sample of how many families and something like 82% of families with youth play in sport, their vacation is going to sport tournaments, events and stuff like that. Oh, wow. That's their vacation.
1: Wow. Yeah. I remember um, we went to Sandusky uh, and um, one of my classes that was led by Tony and we went to the, like the youth uh sport complex that's yeah. like
0: force, literally five miles away
1: yeah. yeah i remember going to that when we uh were in Sandusky for a while
0: and that's so that's called four sports that's why it mm-hmm. was built right it, it was it was built as a compliment to cedar point you know to add that sports and it's honestly it's just copying disney because disney has the same thing worldwide um uh, wide world of sports mm-hmm. down down at disney and they host massive youth. And guess where people go when they take their kids to a soccer tournament or a to baseball Disney. tournament? Down yeah. They go to Disney, right? So, so you know, and it's you know, I, I think um, it is just such a large industry. I, I don't know that it's reversible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took. Yeah, based on that, sound yeah. Yeah, I mean, so You, you want to can't up take up?
2: money out of people's pockets, so
0: right. I and, you know what? People like it. I mean, the other thing is, people like it. You, you know, they enjoy that attachment to a team. You know, the last team I, the last team I ever coached, like as a club team, that was a family. Those people, you know, the kids went to, I think 20, 20 young ladies went to, I think 12 different high schools from Akron to Westlake to Menor, kind of a big triangle in every, everywhere in between. And those parents, they, hung out together outside of soccer. They did everything together at tournament. It, it, over the years, it just became a big family and it became, it became the social group of, of the people um, who paid for their daughters to be on that. I'll never forget our last game. It was, it was like somebody died. It was like, Oh my God, we don't have this excuse. I'm like, you know, you can hang out without soccer. Right.
2: Yeah. And, mm-hmm. but, but that emotional you know, it was like one attachment, of those things.
0: we don't have this anymore. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. you know to, the, to this day, when the dads get together and I go for a beer with them, they still talk about, hey, remember when we were in Rockford, Illinois? Remember when we were in Overland Park, Kansas? What You know, they've got all these like war stories of their daughters playing soccer, but it's not about their daughters <laughs> playing soccer. It's about the stuff they did while they were there. It's a social network for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So with our last question, this is kind of gonna kind of get a little uh, introspective, you know, for you personally. Uh, who were your inspirations as a youth that inspired you both to pursue an education and youth sports?
0: Um, don't know that I had one. I hate to be disappointing. Um, I, I really, I was never one of those kids that, that I had idols that were players and I loved the way they played. Um, but I never really had an idol as a kid growing up um, that um, really inspired me as anything other than a player. So you will never have heard of my biggest inspiration. His name was Kenny Daglish. Um, He was a Scottish soccer player, played for Liverpool, probably one of the greatest players ever played. Um, but he inspired me as a player, right? Um, I would say my inspiration for getting into sport came either during or after high school. I was a little bit older. And so I moved to the, I moved to the U.S. when I I went to a high school in um, suburban Detroit called uh, Troy Athens and Troy Athens High School, um, was a dynasty of soccer in, in Michigan in the eighties. And, and I, I, I played for a guy. So I'm going to give him a shout out. Um, his name was Tim Storch. And I think he's still to this day, the winningest coach in both men and women's high school soccer in Michigan. And, um, he's one of those guys you either loved them or you hated them. (laughs) And I wanted to be him. I wanted to be him. And he was a history teacher. Go figure. Um, so that, that was my, that's part of my history thing too. But he was just, he was, I'd never seen anybody who knew how to win the way that guy knew how to win. And it wasn't, as I look back on it, I was like, wow, that wasn't good. But (laughs) it was also a different era, right? It was also a different era. I mean, I remember running suicides. At halftime of a game, and I think we were in the third round of the, or fourth round of the state tournament. And he was just so angry with us. We ran suicides at half. Jeez. We went out and we won out and won the game. And he goes, see, we psyched them out. Right. And I'm like, yeah, what? Right. Now I'm thinking about it now, but, but he just, he just always knew the right thing to get us going to overachieve and do really well. And so I, and he's really the reason I went into coaching. Um, so he would be, and really, so I had him for class too, I guess in a way he's, he was part of my, who I modeled myself after as, as a teacher as well. So, so he was a, he was a huge inspiration for me. So it was my high school coach. And, um, and again, it was when you're 18, 19, 20 and winning really matters to you, you know, you think that every game is the end all be all, um, when you're associated with it, a, with a, that person, that mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think I've ever told him that. Send him a Facebook man. <laughs> I, I, Honestly, I was
2: going to ask that next question. I was like, "Have I, I you? Have, not to, I have, have, have you never ever told him, told him that?" So that, no. that'd be no. good to hear from him. That, you know,
0: that's my that's my. As soon as as soon as we get off here, that's going to have to do.
2: Nice, nice. Tell the I'm look after
1: this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was telling Greg before you entered the call, the level, the high level that you had for your students in class. And the uh, the six grammatic the six grammar error limit for the uh, the papers that you always did.
0: <laughs> yep, yeah, that's that's still there to this day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from?
0: Um, I, I you know I'm gonna be honest with you. I stole that from someone who I work with. She was uh she was, her name's Mary Kay McManum, and she's a marketing. Pre- she she's retired now, but she was a marketing. And she was, she, she's another one of those hugely inspirational people, but I don't think she has any how inspirational she is. And she was literally like, you're studying marketing and you're going to give this to me with all these errors in it. She goes, you make six grammatical errors. I'm done reading. I'm not, I'm not a 12th grade big line through the paper, zero, you know? And, and so, so I got that from her. Nice. So, And um yeah. And, and I think, you know, and I think standards and I think going back to my coach and high school coach Storch, you know standards are huge, and he never accepted anything but the best. But while doing that, he never belittled anybody. So you mm-hmm. never you never felt less than somebody who belonged. But he was pushing you further than you could ever conceptualize yourself going at mm-hmm. that age.
2: And that's tough to do as a as a coach finding yeah. that fine line between the two.
0: Yeah, and he was always yeah. there for you. You know, um, one of those things. I remember he loved slurpees from Seven Eleven so if you really wanted to get his attention show up with a slurpee for him and <laughs> he was yours <laughs> but you'd um, you know he, I remember most days in the summer he'd walk in but the, um, the you know but that, that, that like you said Greg that ability to back the yeah. feeling of belonging with pushing you to exceed your expectations is it, huge
1: definitely so uh, before we uh, end this episode uh, Greg you have any final thoughts
2: No, this has been phenomenal. I'm really appreciative to be able to sit and talk with you and and have these conversations and these stories, and I know our listeners are going to be super happy to hear it. So thank you.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, and I want to say thank you as well, and it was good kind of reflecting past uh, when we were at BW, Uh, and I remember when you first kind of did your interview uh, lecture, and you (sighs) mentioned esports and the on the very first slide or very early on in that.
0: Yeah. Something I knew very little about then and still know very little about. It just moves so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where, where are we with it? You know? So
1: yeah. And any, but yeah, again, I want to say thank you for joining us. And before we end this episode, we want to thank Dr. Sheptik for taking the time out of his day and joining us today. And we want to say thank you to the listeners for tuning in to the second episode of Behind the Scenes in Sports. We hope you have an amazing day, and we'll see you in the next episode.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones
1: every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sport on Twitter instagram and facebook for any update and please let
0: us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next as always we are deep dive sports until next time